Smokescapes. If you have a copy of the scriptures, please turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 11. We're moving ahead a little bit. We were in uh, chapter 9 last week. Uh, We're going to look this morning at verses 2 through 19. So this is Matthew 11, verses 2 to 19. This is God's word for us, his people, this morning. Listen to this. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. But the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a drunkard and a glutton, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is God's word for us this morning. Oftentimes when I do uh, relationship counseling or marriage counseling as a pastor, one of the things I find is that there are a lot of expectations that are unstated and thus unmet. And maybe a husband, for instance, has this idea or this expectation that his wife is going to do all the housework, and she has an expectation that maybe her husband is going to not be lazy and help. And so there's a a disconnect, and that disconnect in expectations leads to things like frustration and resentment. Our passage this morning is about expectations, some expectations that are stated some expectations that are unstated. But throughout this passage, we have all kinds of expectations. We see the expectations of John the Baptist. We see the expectations of the crowds. 
We see the expectations of the world, and I think Matthew is inviting us, even in this passage, to consider our own expectations. And there's a question that lingers over this entire passage, and it's simply this. What do we do when our expectations are not met? What do we do when our expectations about Jesus and about the gospel and about the kingdom are not met? Let's see what we do. The passage picks up in verse 2. John the Baptist is in prison. Uh, Herod has put him there, and it says he hears of the deeds of Jesus. So he hears about what Jesus has been doing, and he decides to send some disciples to ask Jesus a very important question. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who is to come, or should I wait for someone else? Think a little bit about John's expectations. Think of the sermon that John was preaching as he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. He expected the Messiah to come and bring fire and bring judgment. Even now, John said, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And instead of a Messiah who's doing that, he has found a Messiah who is driving an ambulance around northern Idaho. And John's expectations are not being met. Jesus is picking up the pieces that have been left by evil. He's not confronting it. And John is frustrated and questioning and wondering what's going on. John is in prison. The Pharisees, who completely missed the point, are in charge of religion popularly in the area. The Sadducees, who misunderstand things even worse than the Pharisees, are in charge of the temple. And Herod, a fake king, is reigning on the throne of Israel. John is thinking to himself, what is Jesus doing? Whatever it is, it is not meeting John's expectations. Here's the thing. Jesus will fail to meet your expectations. At some point, in some way, Jesus will not meet your expectations. And so I want to pause here for just a moment and think about what some of our expectations about Jesus and what some of our expectations about the Christian life might be. And these are very often expectations that are unstated. These are not things we say out loud, but I think actually govern the way we think and the way we live. In profound ways. So here's the first one. I have five of these. The first one. Doing things for Jesus should give me meaning and joy and purpose and significance. As I do things for Jesus, I should experience a deep sense of meaning and joy and purpose and significance. I remember that's how I thought going into ministry was going to be. Uh, This was an unstated expectation of mine. I was in seminary and I thought I was going to go be a pastor and I was just going to change the world. I was going to show up and be Todd and do cool Christian stuff and people were going to love me and the church was just going to ascend to new heights. You know what my first six months as a pastor were? The church that I was an assistant pastor at had an absolute meltdown. 
People were horrible to one another. There was pettiness, there was power plays, there was politics. It was a mess. And I was sitting there thinking like, what did I sign up for? Like, this is terrible. I was expecting that people were like interested to follow Jesus and they're just arguing with each other. Uh, If you're wondering, I didn't cause the the huge conflict at the church, Uh, but I, I was there front row. And listen, this happens to us all the time. We find difficulty and hardship where we expected to find meaning and joy and purpose and significance. This happens in marriage all the time. We think that it's going to be awesome and then it's like, wow, kind of hard. We think that having kids is going to mean our life is in soft focus and the kids are always smiling and doing fun and cute things and then they are born and they don't. I mean, they do sometimes, We think that going to college is going to give us this great sense of of purpose and we're going to find this vocation, this thing that we were clearly made to do and, and we don't and it's hard and suddenly we're not the smartest person in the room and that's just disorienting to us. Or we find jobs that we think are going to be profound experiences that are going to give us significance in the sense that we're making a difference in the world and we find out instead that people are petty and small and we're not actually feeling like we're making a difference in the world. It happens in ministry all the time as well. We have an unstated expectation that doing things for Jesus is going to be awesome. It's going to give us meaning and joy and purpose and significance, and so often that isn't necessarily the case. It's one of our expectations. Here's a second unstated expectation that we have, that I will not suffer If I follow God's will, that suffering will not come to me if I am walking in God's will for my life. Uh, I remember growing up always hearing uh, a a phrase from uh, several different people in my life that the safest place to be was smack dab in the middle of God's will for my life. And yet, that didn't always seem to be the case. There were times when it felt like I was doing God's will, and yet suffering kept happening. And the problem with this expectation is that we end up thinking that the reason hard things are happening to us is because we've made a wrong decision somewhere. That your marriage is hard because you married the wrong spouse. That your job is hard because somehow you missed God's will for your life and you chose the wrong career field. That you picked the wrong house or you went to the wrong college or you moved to the wrong town. We constantly are tempted to think that we've just made the wrong decision. Because if we made the right decisions, if we had done what God wanted us to do, things would be easier. It's just not true. It's just not true. Uh, We think it, we feel it deeply, but your marriage isn't hard because you married the wrong person. The truth of the matter is you always marry the wrong person and the point of the gospel is that we become the right kinds of people to be married. We always choose the wrong job because we're always sinners inhabiting that job. We have hardship because we live in a world that is broken. And the insidious thing about this unstated expectation is we have this idea that if we could just make the right choices, we would have control over our lives. Friends, God never promises that. 
Here's a third expectation. If you are suffering, or if something hard is happening in your life, God is just waiting on you to learn the right lesson. And if you learn that lesson, the suffering will stop. So you're thinking, like, I'm in this horrible situation at work, and clearly what God is teaching me is that if I could just learn to be content in the terribleness, then things won't be that bad. Uh, Or I'm in a hard spot in my marriage, and what God is teaching me is that I need to learn to be more patient, and if I could just learn patience, things will get better. Again, it's an unstated expectation that we often have, and it's also, unfortunately, not true. A fourth expectation uh, is simply this. Uh, If the suffering doesn't stop, if the hardship and the difficulty don't stop, then God is going to give me unshakable, inspiring, heroic peace and comfort. Uh, That I am going to be a model for others. They will look at me and say, I want to be like that when I suffer. Friends, it's just not the case always. Sometimes the suffering is suffering. And we pray for peace, and we pray for comfort, and it eludes us. This is all over the Psalms. We see David write and pray this over and over like he is just almost at the pit of despair. And friends, the fact that that's in the Psalms gives us great confidence because the Psalms are given to us to teach us what it means to live our lives before the face of God. C.S. Lewis captures this sort of visceral reality uh, in a beautiful and profound way in his book, A Grief Observed, which he wrote upon the death of his wife. He said this. He said, when you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing God, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But if you go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. C.S. Lewis's publisher didn't even want him to publish this book under his real name because of passages like that. But friends, there is great hope there because it means we're not alone. It means that our experience of suffering is not just something God has given to us and encouraged us as individuals, as the lone person in history to feel this way to forbear in the midst of it. Instead, we just have to understand that suffering is suffering. There's no promise that it'll get easier. There's no promise that we're going to feel great and profound and heroic things in the midst of it. God doesn't ask us or require that of us. Here's the final expectation we have that I think often is unstated. But it's this. Suffering should be evenly distributed throughout the human population. You laugh because you feel it. We do this, don't we? We think to ourselves, Lord, I've had my fair share of suffering. Like, it's time for someone else. Like, maybe that person whose life seems better than mine. Maybe they should have some suffering. In fact, why don't you just pass this along to them? 
We feel this expectation any time our initial response to something in our minds is something like, really, Lord? Really? Another bad thing happening in my life? We have this expectation that suffering should not be heaped in lumps upon the human population, but evenly distributed. So there's a question that we have here at the end of thinking about our expectations, and surely there are other expectations we could go into, but the question is simply this. What do we do when Jesus fails to meet our expectations? What do we do? I think John the Baptist and his disciples here give us a model because I think Jesus invites us to come and to tell him that he has not met our expectations. And in fact, the passage shifts in verses four to six to Jesus responding. And we're gonna see how Jesus responds when people come and tell him that very thing. In four to six, Jesus responds Uh, to not meeting John's expectations. And in verse 4, he says to the disciples, tell John what you hear and what you see. And what Jesus is doing there is Jesus is reminding John of first things. He is reminding John of the most important things, which is he is reminding John about what the Bible says about what the Messiah will be like. He says, John, remember the expectations that the Old Testament sets for what the Messiah's reign would be like in places like Isaiah 29 or Isaiah 35, which we read this morning, or Isaiah 61, that the Messiah is not just here for vengeance and uh, the execution of justice. He is here also to give sight to the blind, to give hearing to the deaf, to raise the dead to welcome the poor and the outcast. You see, friends, for our own lives, when Jesus does not meet our expectations, our chief need is more exposure to Jesus. Our chief need is to understand his works and his words more deeply. We need more of Jesus when he seemingly fails to meet our expectations. Because at the end of the day, our true need is new expectations, not a new Messiah. We need to know more of Christ. And that's why I think verse 6 here is so profoundly beautiful and encouraging. He gives kind words. Jesus gives kind words here to doubters. Doubters are those with unmet expectations. And in verse 6, Jesus doesn't bless those who never doubt, nor does he bless those who have heroic faith in difficult circumstances. In verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Not blessed is the one who never doubts. Not blessed is the one who sticks with it even when things are hard. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. One commentator uh, notes what this verse is getting at. He says, All triumphal words would have been the worst possible pastoral counsel for John in this state. Instead, Jesus pitches his tone low 
puts the cookies on the shelf John can reach and promises in so many words, God bless you, John, if you don't throw the whole thing away because I'm a different kind of Messiah than you were expecting. What do we do when Jesus fails to meet our expectations? We come to him. We tell him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus is gentle with our doubts. Jesus is gentle with our wrong expectations. He's not insecure by our wrong expectations. He's not threatened. But instead, Jesus gently redirects our misguided expectations as we understand more and more of who he is and what he has done. In verses 7 to 15, then John's disciples leave, taking this answer from Jesus with them. And as they are leaving, Jesus turns to the crowds who have gathered around him, and he commends John to them. Think of how kind that is of our Savior. He has just received notice that the greatest prophet of the Old Testament uh, is having doubts about who he is and what he's doing. And Jesus commends John to the crowds. Jesus says, John was not a reed shaken by the wind. He was, in fact, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. In fact, if you can hear it and believe it, John is Elijah who is to come. This is something Jesus says really quickly, and we don't necessarily get the import of it. But in the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 3 and in Malachi chapter 4, there is this promise that God gives that before God himself comes to rescue his people, he will send Elijah. So when Jesus says, John is Elijah, what Jesus is saying is, I'm here. I am God here to rescue his people. Jesus is claiming to the crowds to be God. That's why he says, if you're willing to accept this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, I know I am telling you something difficult, but I am God and I'm here to rescue my people. You want to talk about new expectations. Jesus is claiming to be God. This is unexpected for the people. But Jesus isn't done talking about expectations yet because he turns then to address the expectations of the world. You see that in verses 16 to 19. He says, the world rejected me and it rejected John. John wouldn't dance because he was too serious and too spiritual. And Jesus doesn't mourn because in the eyes of the world, he's not serious or spiritual enough. Think about that. Jesus wasn't spiritual enough for the world of the time. Instead, they accuse him of being a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And here's the point for us. The world always casts Jesus in its own image, according to its own expectations. Some people would say Jesus is a great teacher or a great philosopher. Other people talk about Jesus' radical message of inclusivity. Jesus is a champion of political causes on the right and the left. But Jesus will have none of it. 
Jesus refuses to bow to the expectations of the world. You see, the world is never satisfied with the real Jesus because he is always challenging and subverting their expectations of him. Think of the gospel. Instead of being a mere man, Jesus is God himself in the flesh, come to rescue his people. And instead of preaching against the evil structures in the world like Rome and Herod, Jesus is teaching and healing in remote places in ancient Palestine. Instead of claiming a cushy life, the founder of our salvation learns obedience by suffering, which means we must expect suffering. Instead of conquering his enemies in triumph, Jesus defeats them by himself being conquered on the cross. And instead of staying dead, talk about subverting expectations, Jesus rises from the dead and ascends into heaven. And even then, instead of this instant triumphal kingdom, Jesus leaves the church here. And he's building his kingdom through this ragtag group of redeemed sinners who are prone to doubt and fear and misguided expectations and failure. And instead of giving us a way to control our own lives, Jesus gives us himself and the Holy Spirit. And he works faith and repentance and obedience into our hearts over and over and over again. Friends, Jesus is never the Messiah we expect. He might not even be the Messiah we want, but he is the Messiah we need. And by God's grace, he's the Messiah we have. Blessed is the one who is not offended by him. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning confessing our misguided expectations. And Father, we pray that you would show us our expectations, that you would teach us where our hearts expect things that we ought not expect, and let us turn away from those things and turn towards Christ again and again in faith and repentance and obedience. Father, we thank you that you haven't given us a Messiah according to our felt needs, but you've given us the Messiah we actually need. Teach us what it means to follow him. And even now, Lord, as we come to your table, we pray that you would be at work in us, that you would take this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup and use them for an extraordinary purpose to anchor us in the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.